Well, good morning, everybody. I uh, hope you're having a good Lord's Day so far. If you want to turn, you can turn with me to John chapter 7. Uh, that's what we're going to be this morning. And let's stand and read it together. John chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 13. And it says this, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do, not, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time is not yet come, but your time is always here. The word, the world, cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up because the feast, I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, and he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said he is a good man, others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you so much for the opportunity to just come into a place of worship, Father, with our brothers and sisters in you and just praise and glorify you in the various ways that we have this morning and as we move into this next form of it father as we we worship you you through the preaching and the hearing of your word father i just pray that you would open our hearts open our minds to the truths of the matter here god that the fact that the world hated christ and god it still does so oftenly father and I just pray right now that you would not only open our hearts and our minds to open up and to hear your word, God, but to apply it in our life each and every day. God, take me, hide me behind your words, hide me behind your cross, Father. Let me be the mouthpiece that you would have for me to be, God, and nothing I say would be of my own authority, God, but nothing but all of you. God, if anything that I say is not of you, God, do not allow me to say it. We love you, we praise you, and we glorify you this morning. In your son's perfect and holy name, amen. So in John chapter 7, we're going to be looking back at, we're going to be starting this new chapter and uh, excited about it. We're going to be here um, for about two or three, maybe four weeks, just depends. Obviously, Brother Scott won't be preaching from the text, so uh, we'll have a break in between when he comes. But... Um, Anyway, as we get into it this morning, before we get into the actual text, before we look at any of the specific verses in chapter 7, I want us to first look back at John chapter 5, 46 and 47. If you want to look back with me, you can, but I'll read it aloud. It says this, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe mine, my words? And this is... um. This is the moment after Christ had he had healed the man that was uh, an invalid, that was uh, lame for 38 years. He had healed him on the Sabbath day. That's going to be super important later on. He healed this man on the Sabbath day. He, um, he goes back into, um, he goes 
it, the big process happens. He heals the man. The man finds the religious leaders see him carrying his mat. They point out he's carrying his mat. And then after he carries his mat, they ask him, "Who? To, why are you carrying your mat today? It's the Sabbath. He says, for the man that healed me told me to take up my mat and walk. And he said, so I did it. I, I took up my mat. They asked him, do you know who this man was? He didn't know yet. So he goes back. He, 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 Jesus finds him. And after Jesus finds him and talks to him, the man goes back to the religious leaders. When he goes back to him, he tells them it was Jesus. And then after this is this long conversation that Jesus has with these religious leaders. And in this religious, this, this conversation he has, the first big point he makes is that all of Scripture points to me. And that's important for us to know as we read God's Word, if it's Genesis to Revelations, anywhere in between, that all of the Scripture, all of the Word of God points to Christ. It's the redemptive history of God through Christ Jesus. He points this out, and then he takes it a step farther. And at the end here, in verse 46 and 47, he says that all of Moses' writings point to me. So Moses' writings is uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So all of these first five, these Pentateuch, read uh, or written about Christ. They point to Jesus. Now what's so amazing about this is that after Jesus makes this statement, he makes this declaration, John then uh, records a, a variety and a, a section of signs and wonders in which Christ performs that do exactly that. They point to Christ by looking back at the story of the, of the story in life of Moses leading the Israelites away from Egypt into or near the promised land. We see all this in John 6, 1 through 15, and then 24 through 71. He says, I am the true manna from heaven, meaning that I am the bread of life that has come down from heaven to provide subsistence and salvation for you, just as God provided manna for the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness. And then in John 6, 16 through 21, we saw that Jesus walked on the water. And as he walked on the water, this was a, a very similar picture of Moses walking into the sea, putting his staff down, and then God separating the ocean so that they could walk through on dry land. And then in John 7, what we're going to see here is this same declaration uh, of that I am the true water from heaven. Now we see this uh, first and foremost in this festival that we're going to look at in John 7. But we also see that at the end of this festival, he's going to stand up, he's going to declare this. And what it points back to is the two times in which God provides water for the Israelites by the striking of the rock. And so Christ is painting, John is painting this picture that all of the, the writings of Moses point to Jesus. This is exactly what Jesus was unfolding in his ministry. And so for the next two or three weeks, we're going to be looking at this idea that Jesus is the true water from heaven. Now, we've seen this introduced one time before. You may remember it in John, and it was where Jesus encountered the woman at the well. And he tells her exactly that, that the one who drinks of my water will never thirst again. She says, give it to me. Let me have it so I don't have to come to this place anymore. And he was talking about spiritual. She was talking about physical. But what we do see is that she comes to understand the, and have salvation in him. She goes goes and declares it to the community around her. They come back and then they believe on Christ, not because of her words, because of his. But we're going to see he's revealing this now to the religious and the Jewish culture rather than those that were rejected in Samaria. And so when we move into this, as we look at this, I want to first look at what the main point of the text is as a whole, and then I'm going to tell you what we're going to be looking at in the sermon. What we see as a whole is that Christ's brothers encouraged him to go and gather a great following in Judea. If he is truly the Messiah, 
for they did not believe in him. Then Jesus then responds by saying, it was not yet his time to go because the world hated him. And so really in the sermon itself, we're going to look at all of it, but we're going to focus on this, this small little point here is that not only did the pagans of the world hate Jesus or hate Christ, but so did the religious leaders of the time, that they hated Christ. We're going to see this word, the word world here is cosmos, which means uh, world, universe, and humankind. And so it, it's, it could be broad and it can go more narrow. And what we're going to see at the end of the message here is that the entire world, the entire humanity hates Christ, but so does those that are falsely religious and depending upon their own works. And we're going to see this in the religious leaders of the day and time. But let's first and foremost, let's look at verse 1. Verse 1 says this, that after this, Jesus went about in Galilee And he would not go um, about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So we look back and we kind of ask ourselves, "Is why is the Jews seeking to kill Jesus? Why are they seeking to murder him? Why are they hating him to the point of destroying his life at this point already? Well, you go back to that story that I said is so important, and that's Matthew chapter 5, verse 18. And it says, "This this was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. That Jesus healed this man on the Sabbath day. So in the eyes of the religious leaders, that he broke this law. That he broke this law, breaking the Sabbath day. And then Jesus, as he talked about this, as he conversated, had this conversation with the religious leaders, he said, I am the Son of God. So they hated him and they sought to kill him because first and foremost, he broke the Sabbath in their eyes. And secondly, it's because he made himself equal with God. Now, what we're going to see at the end of John chapter 7, he's going to compare his work of healing the the invalid man, the the lame man of 38 years, to the work of the religious leaders of circumcising on the Sabbath. And we're going to see that later on. But right now, the focus here is that they hated him and they sought to kill him because of this. And this is why he's not going back to, to Judea just yet. See, he had practiced this in a small little city in the overall area of Judea, but it has spread that they were seeking to kill him and seeking to hate, and they were hating him. So he, he does not go back yet. Now we're going to see later on that he does go back to Judea. He goes back to the, he goes up for this feast. So it's not that he doesn't leave. It's just at this appointed time, in, in the moment in the life of Christ, it was not yet time for him to go up to Judea. We're going to look at that in a minute. And then in verse 2, if you follow along with me, it says, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. Now, um, whenever you read a statement like this, you may just pass over it. You may not think nothing about it. Uh, but this is one of the most significant little lines in the entire chapter for us to understand exactly what is going on. Now, when I read this, I initially thought back to, I've been reading through the Pentateuch this past uh, few weeks for class, and I, I immediately thought back to Deuteronomy and Leviticus and different places of where God institutes this practice and this feast of the booths. 
And what we do is we do see this in Deuteronomy 16, 13 through 17, and then Leviticus 23, 33 through 43. Then you see it a couple other places. But essentially what's going on here, because I'm not going to read all of those verses for you. Essentially what is going on is that this was a time of celebration for the Israelites. And what they would do is they would, this was a time of celebration. This was a feast that they would have that would last a week long. And for a week, they would leave their homes, they would build tents, and then they would live in these tents for a week. And the point of it was so that they could remember back to the provisions of God as they were traveling through the wilderness for this 40-year span, leaving uh, Egypt to go to the promised land, that they were reflecting on the provision of God. Uh, many would think and many would say that the point of that was so that they could reflect on what God has already done for them as they get ready to go into the promised land and to take it by force. So that they reflect back on the provisions of God so they can look forward and see the provisions that He will provide for them in this new endeavor. Now what's so significant about this feast as well is that this is the only feast out of all of the ones that God institutes for the Israelites was the purpose of it was to celebrate and to rejoice in the Lord. The rest of them were more solemn or for the purpose of forgiveness of sins. But this one's purpose was solely to rejoice and to be glad in the Lord for the provisions that he had provided. And so this, this is going to be so significant in the next few weeks. Now, this morning, it's not as big of a deal. and We'll reflect back on this in the, in the future messages. But I want us to see, first and foremost, why they're going up to Judea. They're going up to Judea because this was a festival in which they were to practice at a specific time each year. Now, another reason why that is so significant is because the Jewish people would travel back to Judea for this practice. And so there would have been a great number of people there. There would have been a large group of people in this area. And that's exactly why when you get to Jesus' brother's responses, that's exactly why they say what they say. Let's look at verses 3 through 5. It says this, For his brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believe. Now let's first look at this last statement before we jump into this general idea of, of his brothers telling advice to him. It's this idea that his brothers did not yet believe in him. Now what we do know is that later on, his brother James at least believes in him. And then what we do know is that his brothers were in the upper room during the day of Pentecost. So we believe and we will come to understand that eventually his brothers come to realize that he is the true Messiah. But as of right now, they don't believe in Christ. I mean, even to the point when you read Mark chapter 3, 21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. That their unbelief was so strong that it was almost like they didn't believe him, but they also they said that he was crazy. And, and so they didn't believe in Christ. And what's so important to me when I read that, I think back to John, the early book of part of John, in John chapter 2, when Jesus is at the, the wedding feast in Capernaum and he turns the water into wine, we see that his brothers were there with him. His mother was there with him. And they saw this great and this first miracle. But when you read that story and you understand what's going on, it says that Christ revealed His glory to His disciples so that they would believe in Him, but it was not revealed to anyone else there. 
And just like when we looked at John 6, is that one cannot believe in, in Christ as the Savior of the world unless the Father calls Him through the Holy Spirit. And so His brothers do not yet believe in Him. Now that's going to be so significant when we look at this idea of the world not hating them, but hating Christ. But as we get into the first part of this 3 and 4, we see their advice to Him is very simple. That if you're truly the Messiah, if you're who you say you are, if you're the, the Christ, if you're the Savior of the world, if you're really who you say you are, go to this feast, go to Judea where there's a great, great crowd and do everything that you've done and do it in the public and quit hiding. Prove yourself, build a gathering, build a, a following and so that you can be believed, so that you can prove yourself to the world. But what we saw in John 6 was that Jesus wasn't seeking a great crowd to believe in Him. Because at the end of John 6, He has this crowd around Him and He presents this idea that you have to eat of His body and drink of His flesh to, to believe and trust in Him. So this great crowd around Him, he, he gives this hard teaching and then they disperse. And so Jesus' intention here is not to, to bring a great following, but rather to do the will of the Lord. And that's why what we do see is that in the next verses 6 through 10, it says, And Jesus said to him, My time is not yet, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me, because I testify that its works are evil. You go up to the feast, and I am, going, uh, I am not going up to the feast, for my time is not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee, but after his brothers had gone up to the feast, and he went up, and uh, not publicly, but in private. And so it almost seems like a, a contradiction here. It almost seems like it says that Jesus would not go up, but then he did go up in secret, almost like he's trying to hide things. But really the point of what's going on in verse 6 and then verse 10, he's saying, look, my time is not yet. It's not time for me to go up to Judea for this feast, but it is your time. And the reason why it's your time is because the world does not hate you, and it cannot hate you because you're of the world, but it hates me. And we're going to look at that later on. And so he's not saying that he's not going in Judea, but it's not yet time for him to go. And what we believe to be true is that Jesus goes up to, to Judea around middle of this festival. So this festival would have been going on about three or four days. He goes up in the middle of this in secret. And the reason why he does this is because they're, they're seeking to destroy him. They're seeking to kill him. And that's why in verse 6 it says that it's my time has not yet come. It's not time for me to go because when you read uh, the remainder of 11 through 13, it says that the religious leaders were looking for him, that they were already seeking him. They were seeking after him for the purpose of killing him. So it's not yet time for him to go because it's not time for him to die yet. It's not time for him to, to be marched through the cross and to provide the redemption for the world. It's not yet time for him to fulfill his mission. And so he's saying it's not yet time for me. But then he goes on and says, the world cannot hate you. He's talking to his brothers here. And this almost seems comforting. If you're, if you're going to look at it at the face value, that somebody looks at you and says, the world can't hate you. Then no one can hate you. But in all reality, this was a big insult. This was a, this was a, this was a horrible thing for Christ to say to his brothers. Because the reason the world cannot hate them... is because they were a part of the world. That they had not yet believed in him. When you read... Um, John 5, 
43, it says, I have come in my Father's name and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. That this world did not receive Christ or love Christ because he was coming in the name of the Father, but his brothers were coming in their own name because they had not yet believed in him. So therefore, they could not be hated by the world because the world loves their own. We actually see this in... um, John five eighteen it says if the world hates you, John fifteen uh, uh, eighteen I'm sorry if the world hates you you know it has hated me before it hated you if you were of the world the world would love you as its own because you are not of the world but I chose you out of the world therefore the world hates you now we're gonna look at this whole world hates you later but we see in that middle of that he says the world would not hate you because if you were of its own and, and this is exactly why the world cannot hate his brothers it's because they have not received him they have not come to him in salvation so therefore the world does not hate their own but they hate him because he testifies about their works are evil we're gonna look at that in detail as we move forward and then we see this is that after some time he goes up to, to uh, Galilee in secret in about the middle of the festival. And then when we read 11 through 13, let's, let's look at that real quick. It says, And the Jew, Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, Where is he? And there was much more muttering about him among the people. While some said, He is a good man. Others said, No, he is leading the people astray. Yet for the fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. So we see this idea of the Jews here, and this is the religious leaders of the Jewish sector. Uh, and I know it just says the Jews, but this was the Jews talking among one another, and they feared the religious leaders of the day and time. Now this may seem very insignificant, and it may seem like it's um, not even a part of what's going on in the story, um, but really the significance of it, in my opinion, and I'm not going to go in depth in this because it's a different message for a different day, is that sometimes this idea of fearing the religious leaders or fearing those in our lives it's, 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 it's crippling at times and these people though some thought that Jesus was a good man and some thought he wasn't they didn't say a thing because they feared the religious leaders this goes and shows you the power in which they held in the day and time that they had so much power that the people wouldn't even speak out against them and this is why um, we're going to see in just a minute, it says, but um, the eye reveal their evils is that part of the evils of the religious leaders were they were not truly his, but they were taking power and making a name for themselves rather than a name for the Lord. And so when we see all of this, when we look at this entire 13 verses, what I really want us to, to see in detail is, but, he, but it hates me. Because I reveal of its evil, that its works are evil. But before we get into that, I just want to sum up the 13 verses once again for us. Is that the brothers of Christ do not believe in him. And they give him this advice to go up to Judea to make a great name for himself. And he responds by saying, it is not yet my time to do so. And so later he goes up in secret because of the world hating him. Because the religious leaders hating him. Seeking to kill him. And so when we look at this, let's look at this idea, but it hates me. What is Jesus saying, but it hates me? It looks back at this idea of cosmos. It's the idea that the world, the universe, humankind hates Jesus. Now there's a twofold to this. There's a twofold to the idea that the world hates them, but we're going to look at that in just a minute. Uh, but we see this principle in John chapter 1, verses 10 through 11. You can turn there if you would like, or you can say where you're at. John chapter 1, 10 through 11, says this. 
that he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, but his own people did not receive him. And then when you read on in, in John, in the first chapter, it says that he was the light to the world, but the world was dark and the world did not want to receive the light. In the world, the darkness hated the light because it revealed their darkness. And that's a paraphrase, of course, but what we see in this is this idea that the world hated Jesus. That even from the beginning, even from the, the initiation of his ministry, the world was going to hate Jesus. That from the foundation of the world, the plan of God was that for the Son of God to be made into flesh, to be born of a virgin, to come and to live in a world that would hate Him. This was not an accident. This was not a surprise. This was the plan of God from the beginning of time was that Christ would be hated by the same world, the same people that He created. For the same people that claim to be followers of God would hate and destroy Him. We see this ultimately in the death of Christ that even His own people would lead and lead the charge for Him to be crucified to the point that the, 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 the Roman um, leadership of the day and time say, I see no fault in this man and I wash my hands clean of His death. This is on you. And so what we see in all of this is that the world hates Christ. This is not a surprise. This is something we knew. But let's look at this idea of why. Why does the world hate Christ? And the reality too is that even though we're looking at John 7, 1 through 13, and we're looking at this idea that the world and the religious leaders hate Christ, it is still something that happens today. The world still hates Christ. We see this so often in our lives because it is true. But why is it true? Why does the world hate Christ? He says it. He gives us the answer. I love scriptures like this. You don't have to go digging and searching for the answer to the question. He says it's because I testify it uh, about it that its works are evil. That the world hates Christ because he testifies of their evil works. That he reveals their evil works. He testifies. He brings it into the light rather than into the darkness. And I think there's a twofold reality to the evil of the world. The evil of the cosmos. One is the fact that Adam sinned. And because Adam sinned, it is imputed sin upon all of humanity, making us all depraved and, and incapable of salvation upon our own works. That Adam has sinned and brought uh, forth sin into the entire world, that he was our first forefather, and that we, he was our representative in the garden. So therefore, we are all sinful and fallen creatures. But not only are we all sinful and fallen creatures, but we freely choose to sin. Just as Eve and Adam freely chose to eat of the fruit of they were told not to, we freely choose to sin. And then we see that, so this idea of man's depravity, I think, is the idea of the, the general picture of cosmos, of humankind, is this idea that all humanity is sinful and evil because of, of Adam's sin and their personal sin. That they are all rejected God unless it is revealed to them by the Father. That they have turned away, they have sinned, and they have turned away from God. But then we go into more detail to who is Jesus talking about? Who hates him in this picture? Who is the one that he's declaring about that hates him? And it's the religious leaders. It's not the, it's not the pagans that were in Samaria that were worshiping on the mountain. It's not the, the, the roaming guards uh, family that was, uh, were against Christ, but it was the religious leaders that were against Christ that hated him. And why did they hate him? Because they didn't understand him. They didn't understand that he was the Son of God. They, they, they sought to make a great name for themselves rather than a great name for the Lord. 
We see this picture in John chapter 3 of Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus is one of the, the, the religious leaders of the end time. He comes to Christ at night. He, he asks him, what, one, what should one do to be saved? And, and um, Well, he comes to him and asks him a question, and then Jesus responds. And he says, one must, to be saved, they must be born again. But this is a work of the Spirit, not of flesh. And Nicodemus responds, and he says, how does, another, how does one go back into their mother's womb? How is this possible? And then Jesus responds in John chapter 3, verse 10, and Jesus answered him, Are you the teachers of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Is that these religious leaders didn't understand the, the Scripture itself. That's what He told him in John 5. And He says, All the Scripture writes of Me, and all of Moses' letters write to Me, because I am the Messiah. I am the redemption. But you don't understand Moses, so how can you understand Me? They hate Him because He is calling them out on their sinfulness and their rejection of Him. And they were trusting in their own work and their own ability to save themselves rather than trusting in Christ. The world hates Christ because they are sinful and He reveals that evil. But the thing I want us to pull from this idea of the, the religious hating Christ is this thought is that Christ His works is the only way of salvation. That even our good deeds, the Scripture tells us, the Old Testament tells us that our good deeds is like filthy rags to the Lord. That even our good deeds outside of the work of Christ, outside of grounded in Christ Jesus, is filthy to the Lord. That even our best efforts cannot save us. That we are only saved through Christ and Christ alone. And so the important thing that we take from this is that there's this idea that the world, the, these people that don't claim to follow Christ, hates Jesus because He reveals their sins, but also that the religious leaders hate and they hate Jesus and they seek to kill Him because He reveals their sins. So as we look into this, the applications are pretty simple and plain. And uh, the first one is I pray and hope that we do not fall into this same uh, traps as the religious leaders of this day and time, assuming that we are greater than we truly are. See, these religious leaders thought they highly of themselves. They thought they were the end all of be all. They thought that they were worthy of God's relationship, but in all reality, they were sinful and fallen, and they, they had not Christ in their life. And so let us not fall, first fall into this category. Let us not be as James writes about, putting one above another because of their status in society. Let us not fall into the same trap as the religious leaders, forgetting of our depravity. See, the religious leaders of their day and time, what they thought was that they could save themselves. And, and it's the same principle here is that the religious leaders, they, they, they think we think we can save ourselves at times. We forget that we were saved only by faith and faith alone in Christ Jesus. And in all reality, it seems like it's a, a rejection of us or it seems hatred towards us that one would point out our depravity and our sinfulness. But in all reality, when one comes to this realization that they are sinful and need of a Savior, and that Savior is Christ Jesus, and then they fall on their knees and they follow after Christ, they remember that their depravity is how God showed His great love for us. And then the second thing we see is let us not forget that we are saved by the work of Christ and not by our own works. That we are saved when the Father draws by the Holy Spirit. And then the last thing I want to point out, the last two things go hand in hand. Let's look at John fifteen eighteen again. It says, If the world hates you, know that it hates, has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember that the world I, uh, remember that the word I said to you, a servant is no greater than his master. If he is persecuted, they will also be persecuted. If you were kept my word, they will also keep yours. That this idea of, of the world hating Jesus leads to the world hating us. There is no way around it that if we are being the examples of Christ to the world around us, then those that have not been chosen out by the Father, that those have not surrendered their life to Christ, that those that have not come into Him in salvation will hate us because the world first hated Christ. And not only will they hate us, but they will persecute us because they have persecuted our Savior. This is why it is, it is okay that one goes into a mission field where they could lose their life. This is why it is okay that if you talk to your friends about the gospel and they reject you or they never no longer talk to you, that is why it is okay. That is why it's okay that people can go to a place where they can't speak their name or they can't tell you where they're going because they might die for their faith. It's because the world hated Christ and killed Him. So how can we expect more in ours? That if the world hated Christ, then the world will hate us as well. That's why persecution is not a negative. Then we see also in a more normal sense of it all. It's that not only are we called to, to share the gospel to the entire world around us, but we're also called each and every day to share the gospel exactly where God has placed us on a regular basis. Some of you, that's a grocery store. For some of you, that's a mail route. For some of you, that's a prison. For some of you, that's a lumberyard. Some of you, that's a factory. But the same thing that every one of those places have in comedy, common is that the, there's lost people there that need to know about Jesus. And the, the reality is that so often we don't tell people about Jesus because we are stricken by fear that we think that they will reject us or we won't have the right answers or they'll no longer talk to us or it'll make things awkward at work or they won't shop with us no more. They won't eat at our restaurant no more. They won't do these things. But in all reality, the question at hand, are we going to allow the fear of rejection that isn't even a rejection of, of us, but a rejection of Christ cripple us? Or are we going to find a great joy in, in, in the promise of God that there is going to be moments where this life will be full of hatred and even persecution at times and find that great joy as Paul says, I find a great joy that I am imprisoned. How often will we respond like that? See, the world hated Christ. Because he revealed their evil. And the same reality is that when we share the gospel with those, we do the same thing. We reveal that they can't save themselves, that they need somebody else to save them. Or we reveal that the only way of salvation is Christ Jesus and not any of these other avenues. And so therefore the world would hate us just as it hated Christ. But what great joy is that we were fulfilling exactly what he told his disciples in John 15. What great joy would it be that one day we, we may go through some things in this life. We may even lose our life for Christ and we stand before our Father in heaven. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. It will all be worth it at that. So the world hated Christ and so it will hate us. This morning as we look at John 7, 1 through 13. Let us be clear that the world is always going to hate Jesus. And that they will always hate Jesus because he reveals their evil. There's no utopia on this earth 
where the world around it doesn't hate Jesus. The only day that will come is when the new heavens and the new earth descend. And so until then, let us focus on sharing Christ to the world that rejects and hates him. Because in all reality, we may not know who the Father has called out of the world, but what we do know is that he has chosen to use us as his instruments of mercy to those in the world. So let us share Christ with the world. Dear Heavenly Father, we come now. We thank you so much for this day. God, I thank you that the world hated you. Because if the world didn't hate you according to your word, that you couldn't save us. If the world didn't hate you, then your, your, your redemption on the cross would be useless. But God, it hated you because you were perfect in the Messiah. And because it hated you, it can hate us too if we come to know you in salvation and do the work that you've called us to. So God, though many may not want to receive a prayer like this, I pray that you bring hatred and persecution to our lives, that we be your example in the world around us. And though that may be rejection or hatred, maybe even persecution for some, Father, that you hold us fast even in the agony and the pain of this world, God, because you have not only called us to salvation, but you have called us to proclaim your good news to the world around us. And we thank you for that. We praise you for that. We glorify you for that. Because you are all worthy. And at your name, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that you are Lord. But God, only some of those will be going into your glory forever. And some will be going to an eternity away from you. And God, I pray that no one here is in the second category. And if so, Father, that you would call them to yourself. You would reveal yourself to them so strongly that they could not reject you. God, I pray for our friends and our family members, our loved ones, our co-workers, God, that not only if they don't know you, God, that you bring them to yourself, but God, you use us to do exactly that because that is your plan in our lives. We love you. We praise you. In your son's holy name, amen.